edit here. Hey, hey, and welcome. I'm Dave, and you are listening to Life is Peachy, a nostalgia-fueled podcast that allows me to sit here and waffle on about the bands and albums that became the soundtrack to my life. Growing up in the 90s, the early 2000s, and while we're at it, sharing a few memories from Her Name is Murder Productions. scene let's talk about robert von winkle aka vanilla ice producer ross robinson has gone on record to say people had attempted to persuade him not to produce what would be 1998's hard to swallow and in his words people kept saying to me it might hurt your name it might hurt your reputation well then i'm doing it it's the most punk rock thing you could do. Yes, a dope hit, ice man coming with a dope hit. Cause a few suckers need a throat slit. Tell us cause I went multi-platinum. Now I'm gonna blast you in the head. Take your dead with my magnum. Lyrics might be some piss thick, but I'm no simp on the strip. Cause I know how to pimp it. Now I got grip and suckers keep sinking in my quicksand. Vanilla ice, local hit man. Got the number three and my cross is sitting on the roof. So, the million dollar question. <laughs> how did you end up on hard to swallow vanilla ice thing man you get a good producer like someone who really understands to this day he refuses to work on things that he doesn't like i had joined a man we were doing all this pre-production and then one day in the casey's gross garage with carpets on the walls and the ceiling for like quote-unquote soundproofing dusting there was no ventilation it was so gross and perfect and it was small we were all crammed in there ross comes in one day and he goes all right guys so um i have to say something I got hired to do a record, and I want to hire you guys to be the band on it. I have to do it before we do the Amen record. I'll pay you guys and all about whatever. And we're like, uh, uh, okay, okay, Ross. We go, who is it? And he goes, Vanilla Ice. <laughs> we look at each other, and we're just like, come on, what? And we're just like, all right, you got to convince us. And so he goes, we're going to make the hardest record you would ever imagine Vanilla Ice could ever do. Preceding the release of the album, executives at Republic Records compared Vanilla Ice's career direction to the revival of actor John Travolta as a result of the success of Pulp Fiction. And what do they call it? They call it uh, Royale, which... I'll smash bricks with one lick! I wasn't poor, I was broke. <laughs> and so we did it, man. We spent a week writing this record and Vanilla Ice didn't hear one single note of it until he came in the studio and we were in the A room. He came in the control room and we were playing what turned out to be his redo of Ice Ice Baby, which he called Too Cold. 
you could just see his jaw drop. Don't get a second chance. Calls and tremors. I break with the scales in half. Call the cops, the paramedics, the man's down. Try to rock my bell, so I'm broken down. My tongue snapped and cracked like a bull whip. And you ain't nothing but my ticket target. And as I walk through the valley of sin, I walk with all you, my friends. Welcome to the hard to swallow jukebox. guitar and ross actually hired two bass players wes borland's brother scott and doug ardito from puddle of mud yeah and there's also a few guest appearances casey chaos even features on the song fuck me
drummer Shannon Larkin said of the album, I'm proud of that one. That was a killer record. Producer Ross Robinson is very demanding when it comes to drums in the studio. Everything has to be 110% for that guy. And I love him for that. Ross spearheaded this fucking record for Vanilla Ice. I mean, we had halted the production of our album to do that album, right? The first Amen record because we did the Vanilla Ice record. <laughs> You know what, something about Rob Van Winkle, first of all, he's a really fun human being, so fun. And secondly, he's a very good rock drummer. Who knew? We jammed with him. We were like, this is nice. We were like rocking the fuck out with V-Ice. It was so fun and I had a really good time. I tried to convince Ice to not use the name Vanilla Ice. I tried to get him to have a band and call it Van Winkle. Like, think about it, man. You had a career and then you, like, slept. And now you just woke up and you're pissed. Van Winkle. And he was like, nah, bro. But it is. <laughs> <laughs> nah. But he did the right thing. It was the right thing to do, stay with Vanilla Ice. But he's rad. I really like that guy. Were you ever asked to tour for Hard to Swallow? Yes, while we were doing the album, there was talks of that. We already had Amen plans. It was something that we just weren't able to do, so we didn't do it. But ultimately, he had a dope band. He had Scott Schreiner, who ended up playing in Weezer, a guy called Seven Antonopoulos. I know he played in Channel Zero with Mikey Doling, and he's done a bunch of stuff. Great drummer. And then Dave Kushner from Velvet Revolver, who ended up in Velvet Revolver, also <laughs> was in the band. It's like he had killer, dope musicians to play in Vanilla Ice's band. with Seven and spent some time with Mikey and Channel Zero in Belgium to create and release 2018's Exit Humanity documentary and it was my first time experiencing his style of drumming and it instantly reminded me of Jamie Miller or Shannon. They have such unique and engaging performances. Yes. All right. So you named what a group of people that we affectionately refer to as a certain breed of drummers. You could include Morgan Rose in there. Yes, that's yes, the We refer one. to them affectionately as slinkbacks because the way their bodies just move. Mm, that's okay. where we got the slinkback mm -hmm. moniker. 
they have this certain approach where they just like take parts of Keith Moon and parts of John Bonham and these classic drummers and then you mix them with just pure metallic punk rock fury and you come up with guys like that like you name like Shannon Larkin is the kingpin of the clique like he was the founder if you will <laughs> and then like Jamie Miller and Morgan Rose and then Seven was clued into it and was naturally that way but I think was sort of unlocked by the way that those guys were playing he kind of came in the next wave I've been able to play with everybody except for Seven. How blessed am I, dude? Play with some badass drummers. Those guys, I also enjoy the physicality of their playmanship and the visual aspect of how they look when they're performing. I really yeah. loved filming Seven play. I also refer to it now because obviously I've seen Shannon Larkin play a lot. We don't see each other as often anymore. He lives in Florida. But the last time I saw him play, I just was like, he's constantly rediscovering ways to use his body and his instruments to mm -hmm. accent the songs. So I refer to him as a lyrical drummer, certainly technically amazing, but like a guy like him who's incredible at the drums, he still plays to the song, the philosophy of playing drums. And it just so happens that simultaneously you go, Jesus, this guy's great at his instrument. And Shannon had these moves, man, I can't illustrate it for people who are listening. He would do these crazy things where he'd be playing and he would take his left hand and somehow, imagine if you're holding a drumstick but the base of the drumstick is in your palm. He would somehow put it like perpendicular to the floor, bam, bam, in between beats. It was in the song, I Don't Sleep. Boom, 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 boom. And in between there, in between those snare hits, he would do this thing where he would like almost palm the drumstick, but the tip of it was on the floor. And then he did it on the monitor next to him. It was like some magic trick. And then one night, man, we were watching, we called it the swimmer, where he's like doing all those <laughs> arm things. Me and Tumor, we sat around and just kind of came up with all the names for his moves. We're playing in a band with like a guy who we're huge fans of. And so we call it the swimmer and we call it the palm or whatever. And one night, me and Shannon were watching Slipknot play right after us. And Joey Jordison, God bless his rad soul, did that one of those moves where he palmed the thing like on the floor. And I was like, whoa, what the hell? And I got all worked up. And I was all, hoo, 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 as if it was my move. It's not even my move. What the hell am I worried about? And Shannon looks at me. He goes, it's all good, dude. We just go back to the grindstone. We'll come up with another one. I feel like he was just having fun. He was just playing with us all. Or still is. He still is like that. I can sit here and talk about Shannon Larkin playing drums all day. He was like the source. And then these dudes, Morgan and Jamie and Seven and types of drummers like that. Even Roy Mayorga's got some in there. Oh, yeah. Amazing drummer. Oh, man. <laughs> He did sound for Amen. He did front of house. I think it was Amen and Shadows Fall. We flew him out. We're like, hey, man, come on tour with us. But he's so solid, man. And then I got to fill in for Mikey Doling in a band that he was in with Roy and some guys from One Side Zero, Jason and Marcelo, who was in Soulfly, and then Levon, who was also in One Side Zero. So Mikey, I think he'd moved to Japan or some shit. And so I filled in for him and they did a reunion. So I got to play a Bloom Songs with Roy. It was killer. It's all connected, man. <laughs> <laughs> Whit Crane from Ugly Kid Joe says, we're all in one big dumb band. <laughs> it's science. At one point, John was still playing with Amen. 2002, maybe 2003. John Fonestock from Snot, Amen, he goes, uh, hey man, uh, we're doing this show. It was some show, or you know, we're playing some TV show or some whatever. 
will you do it? Will you play the show? And I pulled a play out of uh, Shannon Larkin's playbook. And I said, I'll do the show as long as Fig does it. Never heard back from him about it. <laughs> Paul Fig, dude, that guy deserves so much credit for those two albums, dude. I said Shannon and Casey wrote it all. Guess who else was in the room? Paul Fig with a thing called a VS-16 or 1880, which is a virtual studio rolling. It's virtual, but it was hardware. And he sat there and recorded all that shit. And that's where his career started as an audio engineer because he was doing pre-production with those guys. And he would bring me a tape of it, a tape or a disc or whatever. And he, here's the songs we did today. And I'd sit there and learn them and whatever. And so Paul Fig was doing that. And then finally, I can't remember what it was that got Fig to just be like, yeah, I'm done, dude. I'm done. There is little doubt that behind these words, there is still the longing to know God and to find protection in this valley of tears or this lousy, stinking world. It was something Casey was doing or wasn't doing, which was completely justified and righteous. And he, Paul was like, yeah, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. And he left. And I broke my heart. I was so sad, man. And then I won't say who, but a couple people tried to talk some shit about Fig. And I looked at him and I said, whenever I'm around, keep that shit to yourself. That's my boy. Don't say that shit around me. That dude did everything ever asked of him. And he didn't get to play a single note on those records. We accept the love we think we deserve. He's still the fucking raddest guy around. He's so sweet. He gives a damn, dude. You know what? Giving a damn is real cool. Like, a lot of people don't give a fuck these days. It's not that cool to not care. It's real cool to actually give a shit about something. To follow your purpose. Like, Paul Fig followed his purpose, which was to be a rad human being. And he's so talented. And worked with Joe Barisi and Nick Raziolenix. And, I mean, dudes that I can't even name. There's so many of them. amazing engineers, mixers, and he's learned all these things and he's a sponge. And now he's making compressors, he wires things. I'm like, what? I know what it does, but I don't know how to make it do what it does. <laughs> he sure does. That's my dude, man. A lot of love for him right there, man. It's nice to hear. Oh, absolutely. I'm an open book, bro. You got me. And I was CKC on occasion, we run into each other, very little contact. I kind of stepped away from the scene for a while. And then I joined Head PE later in 2002. I've had Chad episode nine of the podcast, someone who you replaced and had planet earth shortly after amen. Yeah. How did you come to join those guys? And how do I put this? What was that time in your life? Like touring with those guys for blackouts, uh, while sober. Yeah. What a great question. And I love talking about all this stuff. So if anybody wants to keep listening keep listening, and if you want to keep asking questions, I love talking about this stuff. I literally was just going to work as a vet tech for months. 
and getting my life together and getting fit and getting spiritually fit and all this other stuff. And then I get a call and this happened to me often. Well, it happened with Head, Seven Dust and Ugly Kid Joe, ultimately. Amen too. Shannon reached out to me twice for two different bands. I always get the call from the drummer, which is fine with me because I love drummers. So Ben, BC from Head PE calls me up in like, I don't know, October of 02. I had around 10 months. Mm, okay. I had a history with those guys, man. We Snot and Head PE, we were touring partners. We weren't super duper close. I was a lot closer with them than some of the other guys were. There was a tour, Snot, Seven Dust, Head PE. That was a tour in 97. Ultimately, your boy, guy speaking right now, ended up playing in all of those bands. Friends call me Nova. It's in uh, Casa Nova. I spent more time on Seven Dust bus in those touring days, which was months. We did months together in 1997. I rode on their bus almost exclusively. <laughs> I would ride in Head PE's RV sometimes. You know, depend on if we were partying, man. So I partied, bro. I was the guy that dudes were like, hey, Sonny, we want to get some blow tonight. I'd be like, on it. And I'd walk in the club and look around. I'm like, there he is. And I'd walk over and be like, what's up, dude? You know, and I would be like, I'd have it. I had the thing. I could see my people. I didn't deal it, but I sure could spot the drug dealer. So I had history with those guys, man. And even in Europe, when I was in Amen, I ended up riding with Head PE a couple times. Oh, man. One side. Well, man. <laughs> Let's think of this one night. It was after OzFest, UK. Whoa, dude. Woo! Ecstasy. Cocaine. It was so awesome. And I don't want to ever do it again, but I'm so glad I did it. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Fast forward. Late 02, BC calls me and says, hey, man. Chad left the band. And I go, oh, man. Sorry, dude. That stuff happens, doesn't it? <laughs> like, mm. People leave bands, don't they? He's like, yeah, man. Uh, so what's your party situation? Like, my party situation was always the term. I think Morgan Rose said it too to me one time when he called. I really did a lot with Seven Dust because I had around three-ish years sober when I joined Seven Dust. I mean, all these bands I toured with were fucking rad. But that was some of my favorite actual shows was with Seven Dust. That's in my wheelhouse. Those guys, when I walked in, I was like, yeah, I know what y'all do. I got this shit. Let's go. <laughs> you made a good choice. When they asked me to join the band, I was like, yeah, that's a wise decision. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I can't sing like Clint Lowry, but I can definitely rock these riffs. So I was out of Amen, and I was like, oh, man, I've been sober, dude, 10 months. And he goes, oh, cool, you want to join Head PE? I was like, oh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. He goes, this is what we have going on. We're about to release our third album. We're finishing up music in the studio. Chad left. We got a tour that's going to start in early 03. So, yeah, man. Got this set list, I got whatever. And then early 03, I started doing rehearsals with them and went on tour with them. Mm. So why? I love the music and I love the guys. It was a good fit for me. And I was ready, dude. I was like, it's what I did. I could say it's what I do. I mean, I don't do it currently right now, but it's what I do is that, is fucking kill it on stage. And I play guitar really well in certain genres. When I showed up at the first rehearsal, Wes wasn't there. And we rehearsed. The first time I ever rehearsed with Head PE, Wes wasn't there. He was in his shit. BC went over after rehearsal, and Wes was passed out, and I think BC climbed in his window and like had to shake him awake. I mean, he was worried that he was dead. Honestly, yeah, man. That's how we got. And there were strained relations, you might say, between Jared and... He probably talked about that. Wes Gear, episode 5 of the Life is Peachy podcast. We went and spoke to 
you know, the rock star, the people who put Aerosmith back together, these rock star kind of therapist guys, which, by the way, back then there was a new thing. And, and we couldn't fix the relationship. Could I have done some stuff better? Yeah, totally. Did I make some mistakes? Yeah, totally. Uh, could Jared have totally handled it in a better way that I think could have kept us going as a band? Yeah. But frankly, man, I wasn't real concerned about it. I was really happy to get on tour, to play music. I mean, I was in a tour bus. It was music I really like. It was with guys that I really like. I got to fucking jump around and sweat. And, yeah, I just want your company. Yeah. Do all that shit, you know. And I was like, hooray. I really had no dog in the race other than, like, show up and kick it and kill the game. And so, yeah, for me, going on tour was an interesting thing, though. Besides Big Day Out, I had never done it sober, but I did it, man. Idle hands are the devil's playground. I'd like to share recovery, man. I'm a recovered mm. alcoholic and addict. I have recovered. I'm not recovering. I've recovered for 20 years. And what that means is I do not crave alcohol or drugs. I do not go to them as a solution to any problem. Because I didn't just drink and do drugs when I had problems. I drank when the sun came up. In my mind, it's been removed. That doesn't mean I'm cured. I didn't say I'm cured. I said I'm recovered. And if I stop going to meetings, I stop practicing this way of life, which entails a bunch of stuff. If I stop doing these things, the thought will return. It happened countless times. I'm not willing to risk it. And I'm not like, well, just in case. I'm like, it is the case. If I stop, I will return to that. And I also like this lifestyle. I like being kind to people, and I like practicing spiritual modes of life, modalities, and seeking. This looks like a job for Superman. A guy called Sadhguru. He goes, religion has belief. Spirituality, if you will, is a quest. It's an adventure. You're not arriving anywhere. You're just constantly seeking. And you find, and then you go, ooh, what else? That's what I did on tour, man. And I'll tell you how gracious those guys were. I told those guys, y'all don't have to change anything. You don't have to not drink around me. If I can ask one thing, can we smoke in the back only instead of in the front? They were like, yeah, we do that anyway. I'm all great. Otherwise, y'all don't have to change shit, which is great. I'm responsible for my recovery. I did go to Jared and I said, bro, I'm going to ask you a favor. Every day I do a 30-minute practice where I need some alone time. May I come back to the back lounge and have it to myself for 30 minutes a day. And he went, absolutely. A lot of lead singers, as you may know, take over the back lounge. I've never been, had a problem with that. I'm always like, yep, it's cool. Their instrument lives in their body. They can't just go change a string or tune their fucking guitar and they sound better. So I'm like, if you need that to relax and to get the rest you need, do that. So I knew that was what the case was. So I would go every day, morning, which would be 2 p.m. for us, or noon, <laughs> offset hours. <laughs> yeah. We would knock on the door. Hey, hey, Jared, hey, can I? And he'd go, yeah, man. Give me 20 minutes to get stuff together. I'm all, absolutely. And so dude would give me 30 minutes alone. I'd go in the back. There'd be a bong right there. You know, an ashtray with cigarettes and roaches in it from joints. And I would read these books, meditation books. And I would practice meditation. I would sit and I was learning, man. I was exploring. I still am. <laughs> I would sit and breathe and meditate for 10 to 20 minutes. And then I'd go on with my day. BC was actually not drinking at the time. So he and I would go and get in adventures, which was mm. cool. He never had an alcohol problem, if you will. But then Wes was on, man. Wes the mess. 
I'm sure he told you about it. So you imagine the sober dude along with all of that. There's no rhyme or reason to this life. It's days like today scattered among the rest. But the cool thing for me is, man, I hung out with Wes just as much as I hung out with anybody else. We'd be up late driving here and I'd be hanging out with the dudes. Wes would be on blow or whatever and I'd just be like, hey man. I was free and am free from that because I stay practicing and stay seeking, right? And so we played killer shows. I would go find AA meetings on the road. Had these adventures, dude, where I'd be at the club and like we were the headlining band. So I'd go to my tour manager. Hey man, can I get on the internet? And if it wasn't, I could go to a hotel front desk and ask for a yellow pages is what we call them, right? I just call AA. Hello? Hey, yeah, I'm at this hotel and I'm trying to find an AA meeting on a day off. I'd show up at meetings in a taxi, Albuquerque, New Mexico. I pull up and I get out of the cab and this guy's standing out front smoking. He goes, man, you took a cab to an AA meeting? And I looked at him and I said, I took a cab to the bar, man. I might as well take it to the AA, <laughs> right? He's like, cool, man. You need a ride back afterwards? I said, yeah, man. I appreciate it. And then we did the meeting, and then I was like, yo, do you like heavy music? He's like, yeah, dude. I'm like, you want to go to the head PE, Saliva, Breaking Benjamin? Dude's like, yeah. So I would get people tickets to shows and shit. Sober alcoholics. It was so fun. Wes and Jared finally had the thing happen. And Wes left, man. He got his shit and got off the bus. And I was just like, all right, that just happened. Uh, we're driving to the next show, okay? Apparently, I'm going to be the only guitar player at the next show. They pulled me in the back lounge in the morning, and they were like, hey, man, what's so, you know, Wes is gone, and we don't want to go home. And I said, I don't want to go home either. <laughs> and they said, cool, you'll be the only guitar player. I said, yep, and I want to raise. And they were like, what do you want? I told them what I wanted. They were like, totally. And so I was the only guitar player for Head PE for uh, a extended period of time. Yeah, actually, one of those concerts is up in full on YouTube thanks to an epic account called Liberated Tape Archive. They have an amazing amount of full-length concerts from the 90s and early 2000s. It's an absolute goldmine. And of course, you can find the link in episode 22's description. Go check out their channel. It is amazing and yeah so one of those performances from the blackout tour with just yourself on guitar is up on there yeah i think it's st louis maybe so how many shows would you say you performed on that blackout tour where it was just you on guitar oh man i don't have any idea bro yeah. i can't actually remember i didn't do it like that i didn't count it but it was several months several months mm -hmm. and then the time came just strained relations, if you will, with BC and Jared. And so eventually I just was like, yeah, I kind of heard some of the stuff that Jared was doing, which you could hear his current at PE. And I didn't like it. I didn't like it where he was going. And I said, I'm going to move on, bro. And he was like, all right, dude. Yeah. And I moved on. Uh, well, yeah, I don't blame you, man. For me as a fan, I really found it hard to stay connected to the music after the first three albums, especially after half of the original lineup ended up leaving the band. Yeah, man. I didn't like where he was going with the stuff after uh, Wes and BC left. After all the mess post Head PE, how did you and Wes reconnect with Rock to Recovery? Well, let's see. Oof. I don't know how long exactly it was, because he got sober for a minute, and we probably stayed in touch to a degree. 
But then there was a time we started to kind of get reconnected because we were both sober and because of music, obviously. Where we really came together is in 2011, there was a tour, I think it was Music as a Weapon, potentially. It was like Corn, Disturbed, Seven Dust, in this moment. Wes was in Corn, Clint's in Seven Dust, and my boy Jeff Fab, who is the drummer of Black Label Society, was the drummer of In This Moment. And Tommy Vexed actually was on tour with them, and he was sober for a couple of years at the time too. And so they would have AA meetings. And from that, they actually would call me and put me on the table and we'd have a meeting. I was really grateful that they included me. That was super rad. We started calling it SFG after this prayer called the St. Francis Prayer. It's uh, where there's hatred, let me bring love. Where there's wrong, let me bring the spirit of forgiveness. Where there's despair, let me bring hope. Where there's discord, let me bring harmony and so on. And so it's really formulaic and we would read it at the end of the meeting. So Wes and I were like in touch. And then after that, I don't know, six, eight months later, Randy Bly from Lamb of God got arrested in the Czech Republic. Day before that, I think, we had a meeting on my tour bus in Switzerland. I was in Ugly Kid Joe. And then the next day, Lamb of God went to Czech Republic and Randy got arrested. So it was actually Tommy Vex who had the idea. Everybody's online posting, free Randy Bly, fuck this and fuck that. And Tommy came to me and Wes and Jeff and Clint and said, hey, let's start a gratitude email chain. There's a practice that a lot of us do. We start an email chain where we share 10 things that we're grateful for every day. And then we send it off to the group. And so we did that and we included Randy, even though he was in Czech prison. So we were trying to put goodness into the ethos. And so he got out of, <laughs> no, he got back to the States and was like, what the hell? His inbox is full of gratitude lists. So we continued it. We kept doing it. And so Wes was part of it. I was part. So we started staying really close. And then in late 2012, Wes started Rock to Recovery. So if this is who I'm supposed to be, clearly a musician, I felt like, and clearly I'm supposed to be a sober guy or else I'd be dead. So if I'm supposed to be a sober musician, how can I help people and make a living? This idea came to me after some seeking, like, oh, I'm going to remember you in rehab. They had you doing pictures with crayons and doing yoga. Well, there was no music in treatment. Let me see if I can get music into treatment centers. And I pitched that idea for a good six or eight months before I got a bite. And finally I got a bite and uh, it took off, man. I mean, to where we are today, it's like, I can't even believe it. When he said that, when he said, I started this thing called Rock to Recovery, I was like, I want in. And I've been with the company and I'm on the board of directors for almost nine years. I'm so grateful that Wes had a stroke of genius and then I get to be a part of it. And so I basically joined Wes's band again. Is what I'm... <laughs> <laughs> That's one way of putting it. We got 15 people in this band, dude. Woo! Slipknot, eat your heart out. You guys have 15. <laughs> <laughs> and to hear more about Rock to Recovery, you can check out episode five with Wes himself talking about Blackout and his life and times with Rock to Recovery. Yeah, dude. One of the purposes of my existence is to help people, is to connect with people, to inspire and to be inspired, empower people, right? Um, it just is, man. Wow, you're amazing, dude. Thanks, I like to play. That thing, dude, like connecting with people, watching people be creative when they're not trained, they're not musicians. Everybody's musical, man, we can all play. So what I try to tell people is like, look, if we had a ball, the four of us, five of us, eight of us, ten, whatever, we could play with this ball and we, we could decide how are we gonna play. So we're just gonna play with musical instruments. 
So we play music, we write songs. And dude, we have like 22,000 songs that we've written and uploaded to SoundCloud. Watching people open up, it's, I, I can't really describe it. I mean, you could look on our website and see some of the stuff, see some of the videos of working with veterans and such. But it's really special, man. It's super special. Yeah, man. I'm really happy for you. Yeah, man. Mm, yeah, your passion is infectious. <laughs> it's nice to feel. Well, I'm glad you can understand it. You can feel it yeah. I just saw some Ugly Kid Joe tour dates in Europe over the summer. And I was like, man, I want to go tour with Whit Crane and those guys, man. I'll go play some fat festivals and stuff. Mm. Like, I want to, but I can't, man. I got a job. I got, you know, I just not in the cards right now. I cannot do it. I'm kind of stoked to not be in the grind of, of being in a band. Mm. I certainly didn't fail at anything. <laughs> but it's like, but I'm not doing that anymore. And I don't really want that grind. Raiden? It's a new look. With these years of retrospect and reflection, looking back, what do you think is the most positive or valuable lesson learned from that period of your life? I think I propped out Ross Robinson like crazy at the beginning of this interview. I learned so much about a way of being from working with that dude. Just being in the moment, I take a lot of the stuff that I experienced with him sort of principles and he's still doing it man he's working on the next right that dude is tireless bro and i love that he's not worried about like the big deals and the things he's doing it right make somebody a fine wife someday you should see me bake a cake yeah i find life is all about the pursuit and maintenance of balance finding it putting in that time and working on it recalibrating it when necessary <laughs> yeah recalibrating constantly recalibrating yeah yeah and this goes down to health physical health it goes down to mental health it goes down to material health it's like a, it, the balance right oh well what are you gonna do life's a bitch and then you die right sometimes sometimes life's a bitch and then you keep living and amen where does it all sit with you now where does it sit for me, man? I played in a bunch of bands, dude. I've done a bunch of records. I played in a bunch of bands, right? Toured a lot. Amen is one of the lesser known, at least around people that I'm around these days. So when I mention bands that I'm in, it's kind of down the line, except for when I show my tattoo. This is mostly in like treatment centers where I'll go, this is a band I played in. This is when I was like at my worst, my darkest. I was angry and, and so it's a symbol. It's not in a negative way, a revelation. In fact, we played Tattoo the Earth. I saw a video, and I remember, this is like a year and a half ago, and I saw the video and I was like, oh, look at that guy, looking at myself. I started calling him Angry Sonny, and I was talking to my therapist, actually, and I said, yeah, I saw this video, and Angry Sonny, and nobody likes Angry Sonny, and she went, well, hold on a second. Angry Sonny deserves a spot. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. That would be the thing, is cut loose, man. Let go. Uh, maybe not take yourself so seriously. And be rad, like be kind to people, man. Be kind, even though I was so angry back then, there's still this level of kindness inside of me. Mm. And I'm human, so I'm also, I'm a dick sometimes. 
<laughs> Do your best. Oh, I don't even know where to begin, really. So let's just start with a huge thank you. Thank you, Sony, for your time and energy and everything you've shared with us on the Life is Beachy podcast. Thanks, bro. It's been great. Man. But yeah, I really want to tell you, too. I appreciate it, man. The things that I've done that have touched people, I like talking to the people that it's touched. So this is, I love this stuff, man. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for that, man. And thank you for all of the epic music over the years. You've... You're welcome, man. You've, yeah, you've done a lot. (laughs) Have a great day. episode 22 of the life is peachy podcast and my chat with sunny mayo and all things amen and well i guess a lot more too (laughs) i know it was a long one and a big commitment so if you're still here right now thank you so much for sharing your time and energy today if you're eager to find out about Sonny's experience with the Price of Reality music video, you can always head over to the Patreon where there are a bunch of perks, including early guest and album reveals and additional episode content. I feature questions from patrons in my episodes and they can be submitted to me exclusively through patreon.com slash lifeispeachypodcast. Any love over at Patreon really does help to make the necessary time that is required to write, record, and edit these episodes on top of my full-time job with Her Name Is Murder. More support means more time and more episodes. It's science. Make sure you check out the links in the episode 22 description. I've made an epic Sunny Mayo playlist, which includes videos for Amen, Snot, Seven Dust, Head Planet Earth, and much more. Once again, welcome to season three. I have big plans this year, and I'm also putting a lot of TLC into the mixtape sessions, the second podcast channel. You can also find the link for that in the description of this episode. Two tracks dropped there in the last month, one with Johnny Santos, ex Spineshank, Silent Civilian, and 
the most recent with X Crazy Town main man Brett Epic Mazer. This is Crazy Town. Crazy Town. And well, I suppose that's it for now. <laughs> Until we hang out again next in March with Ed Butcher. <laughs> I would love this chance to say a very big thank you to you. If you are enjoying the episodes, you can always help by rating and reviewing over at Apple Podcasts or sharing your favorite episodes out there online in any way you want. Thank you so much. And if this is your first time checking out Life is Peachy podcast, then there are more episodes waiting for you. 21 to be exact. And <laughs> maybe there's something out there for you to enjoy. Big love to everyone. Have an amazing day. See you at the party, Richter. Bye-bye. You know, I can uh, eat a peach for hours. This episode was written, edited, and produced by myself. Recorded from the comfort of my own home. DIY style with each guest calling in from wherever they happen to be around the world at that particular time. The Life is Peachy theme song is an original tune for this podcast, written by Tim Richardson. The Life is Peachy podcast is not monetized. All music rights and credits go to its rightful owners. Further details can be found in the description of the specific episode. All artwork is original and illustrated for the Life is Peachy podcast by Chris Lisa Leafting.